to welcome everybody to the second part of this two-part series on how to blow the shofar, a tutorial. Uh, we hope all those joining us on Zoom will share their videos and, encur and we encourage you to get involved so that we can create a fun and interactive class environment together, uh, similar to what we had last week. Today we'll learn the basic halachot of the sounds of the shofar, so timing and counting and one is required, when one is required to repeat, and among other things. It's my pleasure to introduce to you again, Rabbi Moshe Silver. As you may recall from last week's session or your time at Jerisha on the Upper West Side, Rabbi Silver is a founding member of the Jerisha, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur Minyanim, and has been a Balfokea for 45 years. Rabbi Silver and his wife, Risa Green, likewise a core member of the Jerisha Minyan. They made Aliyah in 2018, and they currently live in Yerushalayim. So for the past two years, Rabbi Silver has run a Jerisha alumni minion in Yerushalayim. And this year, because of coronavirus, he launched an initiative to send chauffeur blowers throughout the city and so that nobody can nobody will miss out on this mitzvah. And you may have actually seen his article the article about his important work in the Jerusalem Post. So Rabbi Silver also teaches at Yeshiva Hashivenu on Hartzion, and he continues to write both fiction and Torah commentary. His forthcoming book, The Weight of Gold, is a unique approach to studying the weekly Torah portions for lessons of personal growth and social justice. So I know I'm not the only one who's looking forward to today's session. So without without further ado, Rabbi Silver, please take it away. Thank you. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining. Um, I'm assuming that you're all back here this week because you've been practicing very diligently. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask to kick this off, actually, by by calling on volunteers, or let's say maybe I will um, dragoon somebody if I, if I don't get a show of hands. Um, one of the most important things about blowing the shofar is, and I said this at the beginning of last week's session, um, I can honestly say that one of my great strengths is that I don't mind making a fool of myself in public. Um, if you want to blow the shofar, that's like your point of departure. Um, and understand too, that as nervous as you are when you get up there to blow the shofar, um, you're the one in the room who's doing it because everybody else is so nervous that they wouldn't even try. So kol hakavod to all of you for trying this. And as I told you last week, I can do this. I guarantee that you all can do this as well. And you may not be able to, you know, play in the shofar in the International Shofar Symphony Orchestra by next week. And you may not be able to blow a full hundred kolot in front of, you know, at the hotel or in front of a thousand people next week. I don't think anybody's going to be standing in front of a thousand people next week anyway. Um, but I encourage every one of you, I'm confident that every one of you can certainly blow a very respectable 30 kolot for yourselves, for friends, for family, for people who are shut in, who won't be able to get out anyway. Um, there are, every year there are lots and lots of people who don't make it to shul. Um, obviously this year it's going to be quite a lot of people, but this is a skill that Bezrat Hashem, God willing, you will be able to take with you for the rest of your lives. You'll be able to change somebody's life every year by being the person who's able to show up and blow the shofar for them because they could not get to Minyan, they could not get to Shoah Rosh Hashanah. And, you know, we all know people who, you know, everybody's got a different relationship to religious observance. Some people go to go to Minyan every day. Some people go to Shul every Shabbos. Some people go once in a while. Some people, but almost everybody goes on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And even the ones who don't, when they hear the shofar, it touches them. 
So before we get into talking about, you know, specifics of how it's supposed to sound, what you're supposed to do, et cetera, et cetera. Anybody want to volunteer and show us all how you've improved from practicing for the last week? All right. We have Robert Himber. Unmute yourself, please. Sweet. Unmute yourself. I've unmuted myself. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, I'll be standing as per your request. Quite all right. Very respectable, sir. Thank you. Try. Really nice. Thank you. Um, any of the any of the women care the blow show far for us? Sure. Okay. Uh, Ruth, thank you. No problem. Nice. Well, can I? Can you hold up the shofar? Can I see what kind of what kind of a shofar that is? Uh huh. Nice, very nice. Got a nice sound, and and you've got it, you got it. So just you know, I, by the way, seriously, there's another week and a half until Rosh Hashanah. Trust me when I tell you that if you have the time and you have the focus to spend a half an hour to an hour a day doing this between now and Sunday, you will be very surprised at the result that you get. It comes from it comes from the dedication. Sorry. My my one question is um, with um, Trua is to get those very distinct um, individual notes. Yes. What's the the best way? I mean, it, the the way that I do it is you just like make it ta 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 with your tongue tip. Um, it should be as much as possible, it should be even, and each note should be distinct, right? Yes, I hear it. Um, and it's, it, it, you know, the, the more breath control we have and the more we get that steady flow of breath going, the easier it becomes to manipulate the different sounds, right? For, so for your, advanced, for your advanced class for next year, the exercise is, this is a great exercise for wind players and also for singers. The, great, the, ne the exercise is you light a candle and you put the candle flame right at like at mouth level, about, you know, six, eight inches in front of you and you blow. You don't put it out. What you want to do is you want to get the flame to bend and just remain horizontal. You want that steady, even a stream of breath coming out that the flame holds a horizontal position. It's really, really, really hard. However, it, it actually, it, it's tremendous at, at, at helping to create that kind of, that sense of getting the airflow going. Because the more, you, more we control, the more freely the air flows, and also at the same time, the more we feel that it's under our control, the more the rest of the of the lip and the the tongue technique will be 
um, it'll be a lot easier for us to to be in control of that also. I, I just want to interrupt for a second. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, uh, Enid. May I, oh, I wanted to ask on the breathing that you told us about last time. Yes. Beitoku, it's called. Anyway, how often do you do the the in and out in out hold in in a to to practice each day? Like, what it would you recommend? It needs to be. It has to be comfortable. Okay. If you get if you get like <laughs> if you get short of breath, if you get hyperventilating, if you're getting dizzy, whatever, or if you're feeling tension, then you're holding your breath too long, right? It's an easy, so each person's, each person will start differently and will progress differently. So for me, it's like I breathe out to a count of like three, out through the nose and breathe, I'm sorry, I breathe in like three, in through the nose, two, three, and then out one, two, three, four, and hold it, two, three, four, five, six, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, two, three, out, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. I find that it really helps to, during a session, to get into a rhythm so that I'm doing the same number of breaths in, out, <clears throat> excuse me, the same number of then regular breathing in between. Um, that's why, for example, as I mentioned last time, it's really, I find it really useful to do it like when I'm walking because the rhythm of my steps is a way to count the rhythm of the breathing. Um, I tell you also that I do the, I do the breathing uh, on Shabbat morning during Kriyat Torah. So it's a great, you know, no, it's a great marker. Like I breathe in on one Pasuk and I breathe out on the next Pasuk and I hold it for the next Pasuk and I breathe in. <laughs> and, and do you do a session of breathing more than one time a day? Um, you know, I'm not a I'm not a uh, certified Butico instructor, and I'm not really I, you know I've read like a book about it and I looked at a couple of online yeah. videos about it, but but the 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 person who taught it to me really taught me enough to change my breath my breath volume my breath control my my vocal range, and so you know I would say. If you if you want to know more about it, I would really look to people who are more who are experienced in teaching it. Mm -hmm. um, there are online courses. There are like you know a series of videos on YouTube and so on. Uh, I'm sure that you can find somebody who would be happy to charge you a lot of money to give you private <laughs> instruction. Um, I, I just wondered, do you do it like three times a day at different times, or it doesn't matter, does it? Or does you can. It? You can. Okay, thanks. Yeah. I, I, I mean that again. I'm not an expert on this. It worked for me and it continues to work for me. Baruch Hashem, it's helped me also to, to help to manage, you know, for many, many years, I would get a serious bronchitis every fall. Mm -hmm. And it's helped to, to minimize the effect of that. It's helped to, you know, deal sometimes with allergies and so on. So, um, Thank you very much. And it really, but I find that it really dramatically increased my, my breath capacity. My daughter wanted to know also she's going to try it. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's very interesting. We, we, we were just listening, excuse me one second, we were just listening, my wife and I were just listening to, a, um, to an interview with one of the, speaking of breath control, one of the great all-time masters of breath control, whose 90th birthday was yesterday, 
and he's a gentleman named Sonny Rollins. Some of you may be familiar with his work. Um, Sonny Rollins, for those of you who don't know, is one of the all-time great jazz saxophone players, um, and absolutely uh, an absolutely amazing musician. I had the I had the the bracha and the honor to see him perform live. Um, he was interviewed by Terry Gross on Fresh Air, which is on NPR. You can actually look it up. Um, you can find a, a replay of it. Um, if you're into Sonny Rollins, it, it's a really good interview. But he talked at one point about the about practice, and you know how some professional musicians when we get to a certain level and they say, you know what, when, when you're at a certain level, you don't practice, you just play. And I have to tell you that from my own, you know, I'm not on Sonny Rollins' level. But from my own experience as a musician, both playing musical instruments and singing um, and playing the shofar, it's basics, basics, basics. You gotta do the basics over and over and over again. And the basics of blowing the shofar is the breath control and it's that And as, as Sonny Rollins points out too, when you play a wind instrument, you're embouchure, the, the position and the ability to hold the position of your lips, that is the first thing to go. So you don't practice for two days in a row. When you come back the third day, all of a sudden, you're not sounding the same and it's not feeling the same. So it's really, really, I can't stress enough how important it is to maintain daily practice between now and Rosh Hashanah. And trust me, you will get a decent sound out of your shofar. I think we had another question or comment. You mind if I uh, try uh, to critique my blowing? I would love to hear you blow the shofar. Okay. Please. That's what we're all here for. I want everybody to blow all at the same time, but let's, let's start with you. Let's start with Ben. in Jerusalem, are you? Uh, no. Okay, we could use you. Uh, uh, okay, hopefully, no, uh, yeah. Sounds great. Sounds great. It's, it's even, it's, you know, and it's not, uh, you're not like getting like bubbly static in it. Okay. The notes are clear. Um, good for you. Okay, yeah, I took your advice of, um, you know, the daily practice. It's, um, you know. Thank you. I rest my <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, Joseph Godlieb, are you getting ready to blow the show for? I was trying. I haven't haven't spent enough time practicing this week. I've been too busy, but I'll I'll okay. give it a shot. All right. Just relax first, take a breath, and then draw. Go ahead.
And that's with not practicing. <laughs> Good for you. Excellent. Seriously. So now imagine if you practice every day between now and Rosh Hashanah. You'll, huh. I'm telling you. Be amazing. Uh, you, so I see your I see your background there. You know, Sonny Rollins was famous. He he used to go out onto the Williamsburg Bridge between Brooklyn and Lower Manhattan and play the saxophone at like in the middle of the night. He'd go out like two, three o'clock in the morning and he would play on the bridge. Cause you know, when you play the tenor saxophone, like if you want to practice, you know, in the middle of the night, your neighbors are likely to get a little bit antsy about it, even if you are Sonny Rollins. So, so, you know, listen, you go out in the middle of the Golden Gate and you can just, you know, knock yourself out. It's great. <laughs> um, anybody else? Samuel, are, are you yeah, about yeah. to blow? Yes, Please. yes. I, I, let me try. Great. Okay. Yeah, trying. <laughs> okay. No, but it's great. First of all, thank you because, like, we all, you know, nobody was born a virtuoso. No. And we got to start. And and it's, you know, you got you got a very a very decent sound out of it. So now the question is, can you repeat that sound and sustain that sound? And you know, I had a gentleman here in Jerusalem who said, "Oh, can you give me a lesson?" So we went and sat in the park, you know, ten feet apart from each other, and he took a shofar and he went. And I said, keep going. And, and after about 10 minutes, he was getting a steady, steady <laughs> sound out of it. Right. And I said to him, so now you got it. So really, it's that in, you got, we all got to get over that initial hurdle. We got to get over that initial, like, you know, every time we try something new, especially if it's difficult, after a few times we tried it and we can't do it, we say, oh, my God, you know what? Now I understand how difficult it is. I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, the Gemara says that the that the reason that we don't blow shofar on Shabbat is because it is a skill. Not just anybody can do it. And so therefore, if somebody has a shofar and they want to blow the shofar for themselves on a shana, but they don't know the skill, they're going to take their shofar and they're going to go find somebody who is, a, who is an expert shofar blower and ask them for a lesson to teach them so that they can then go blow the shofar for themselves. And when they do that, they're going to take it, you know, from one resort to the next resort. And the next thing you know, my, you know, my goodness. So anyway, um, who's next? Just, yes, Sheldon, please. Okay, uh, question first. In practicing, um, you think, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer, just an opinion. Uh, if you practice 30 or 40 colos at a time, uh, is that sufficient or should you be doing sets of a hundred? I don't expect people to do what I do in terms of practice. My practice regime, because, you know, Baruch Hashem, I, for the last 45 years, I've blown shofar for a minyan. And also because I'm very, very nervous that the time's going to come and I'm not going to be able to do it. So my practice regime is I start on the 10th of Av, and I blow uh, nine, eight, seven, so like three, like 200 or more kolot a day, right? So your objective, uh, you know, I don't know exactly each one of you at what level you are in terms of the strength and the, sol and the solidity of your ambushur, 
and whether your lips will break down after you've blown for a certain, a certain number of times. So I think your objective is to be able to blow those 30 kolot on Rosh Hashanah. And if you're going to do it more than once, you know, you're probably going to do it with a break in between. You're going to go to your, you know, the building you live in and you're going to blow there outdoors. And then maybe you'll walk someplace else. And so it's going to be a half hour or an hour later that you blow it a second time. Um, your objective is to get to the point where you're in shape to do those 30 kolot and not getting to the point where you're going to, uh, it, it, it's possible to like, particularly in those last couple of days, it's possible to like over overwork. If you haven't really been working those muscles consistently, it's possible to get to the point where you're going to just, your lips are going to feel shredded and you're going to be too tired to actually, to actually blow when, you know, when it's game time. So I can't tell you, you know, what's the right number to, to do, the, but the wrong number to do is to do a number that when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, your lips are all swollen and you can't really feel like, you know, you have Novocaine in your face or whatever. And then, right. So I hope that's helpful. Right. Um, Thank you. I've, I I've, blown, I've blown for people who aren't able to make it to Shul 30 Kolot. This is the right. first year I'm doing 100 in Shul or in a Minion. A private minion, so um, uh, that scares me a little. Well, but you don't, but you don't do a hundred at once. You do thirty. Understood. Then you do thirty. You do thirty. So I will give you all of you a couple of, um, let's call it shofar hygiene tips. Um, One thing is, you know, as I mean, I don't know those of you who might want to be putting a, might, might want to put a surgical mask over the bell of the shofar, as some people have recommended, particularly for those who are davening indoors. Um, there we go. Um, but the shofar, it's a, 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 I think we mentioned this last time also, it is a wind instrument. And if you've ever, like, if you've ever played a wind instrument, or like if you go to a symphony orchestra performance, you will see particularly like the French horn players and the trumpet players and the trombone players, going like this because the because your breath condenses inside the instrument and um and so you need to you want to not have uh i mean everybody's everybody's uh you know oral condition is different but you want to to extend possible you want to be hydrated but you don't want to be creating a tremendous amount of saliva so you don't want to eat a lot of salty food a lot of sugared food or whatever, particularly in like in the morning right before you go to blow the shofar. Now there is a minhag that the baltokea is not allowed to eat or drink anything until after they blow the shofar. And we'll get to talking about that in a minute, but um, I'm not mockbeat on that. You know, I, I really don't want to go to shul without at least having had my cup of coffee. Um, but one thing that I do recommend is that you just rinse, you know, regular, just, just rinse it out with water and run water through it a couple of times and then blow it out on both ends, shake it out. Um, you should try that actually over the next few days and see see how, you know, whether you feel that that gives you an easier blow, whether it gives it a clearer sound. Um, you know, the people who say, oh, well, you need to like soak it in vinegar, you need to soak it in wine, you need to, you know, so I tried, you know, years ago. I mean, by the way, the shofar comes from an animal and sometimes when you get a new shofar, it smells like a dead animal. Um, and ain't too much you can do about that except just blow the shofar a lot. 
but you know i have like in the past you know tried to cure a shofar with the wine vinegar and so then i get a shofar that smells like vinegar which i guess is a shofar a shofar that smells like vinegar is better than a shofar that smells like a dead animal but anyway you pays your money it takes your chances um but it's it's actually important like we should rinse out our mouths um, before we blow, because if there's any food, like little tiny food particles that are stuck in your gums or stuck between your teeth or whatever, particularly for those of us who are going to go to shul, come home, have kiddush, maybe have a light lunch and then go out and blow shofar again for other people, you know, I would suggest like brushing your teeth. Um, and I'm not poskening about whether you're not, you know, brushing your teeth on your own or whatever. Um, so Sheldon, are you going to blow the shofar for us? If you'd like. I would like. Nice. Nice. I find, I'll tell you, the one in a Shvarim Trua, does it have to be contiguous or can there be a slight break in between? So, Let's talk about some of the fine points of what it's supposed to sound like. Um, okay, first of all, remember that the, the, the trua is the ikar of, it's the main point of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, right? Rosh Hashanah is described in the Torah as yom trua. And as, you know, and actually it never says anything with respect to Rosh Hashanah about you will blow the shofar, you will sound the shofar, you will hear the shofar. The word shofar and Rosh Hashanah do not appear in the same pasuk in the Torah, right? The word shofar is in, is in connection with the end of Yom Kippur, where the shofar is blown at the end of Yom Kippur once in 50 years to signal the Yovel. But since we don't know which year is the Ovel, we blow the shofar every year at the end of Yom Kippur because it might be the right year, okay? And since the shofar that's blown on Yom Kippur has the word trua associated with it, we have the word trua with respect to Rosh Hashanah, so it's a gzeret ha-katuv. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's linked by using a common word, and so we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, which is not to say that it's not biblically ordained, but it's biblically ordained in a you gotta, you gotta know how to read it, sort of thing. Like I might not have figured that out for myself. So Baruch Hashem, thank God we have Chazal, we have the rabbis to guide us. Um, the sound of the shofar, again, the the main sound, the definitional sound for Rosh Hashanah is the truah, and it's not clear whether the truah is what we call the truah or what we call the shvarim. The the uh, tikkia has to bracket them because it's because it says call hashofar call so the so the word of the 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 textual references lead us to the structure that we have today of a tikkia something in between and a tikkia okay so what's in between is when you're blowing the shvarim Torah, i would say two things first of all yes the shvarim and Torah must be distinguishable from each other you don't slide into it, right? Right, because uh, I mean, I've had this myself in the past of, you know, trying to get fancy with the shvarim and like, 
and it's not a shvarim into a Torah, right? The more straightforward we do it, the better it's going to be. More people will understand it. People will know exactly. People want to hear clearly the different kolot. Now there is a there is a practice. Uh, Sheldon, you were blowing for a minyan. Uh, there's a practice to that the first set when you do the tashrat, the the tkiya, that you do the shvarim and truah on a single breath. And then at the end, you do a breath in between the shvarim and the and the truah. So and then at the end, like it's a little bit of a longer pause. But um, because there there are certain interpretations that say, well, you know, it should it's one or the other, and it's not the two of them together. So again, we want to try to. Uh, I would say, and I'm I'm not paskening. You should the rabbi of your of your minyan should paskin for you on how on how this is supposed to sound. But I would say the most important thing is that the tikkiyot have to be as long as or long or a little bit longer than whatever's in between them and every note has to be precise you have to be able to distinguish the shvarim from the truah and know when the truahs end and when the tikkiah begins know when the shvarim end and the truahs begin know when the first tikkiah ends and the shvarim begin and if you do that you know the other things about you know about how many how many breaths you take and how fast you do it, and et cetera, et cetera. Those are those are all. I'm, I'm not I'm not making light of them. Not that they're not important, but um, you know the basic requirement is to blow those thirty kolot, and that's you know everybody who hears that will be yotze. Um, anybody else? Question or volunteer to blow the shofar? Uh, Dave. Yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, can you hear me okay? I hear you fine. I can't wait to hear you so far. Well, I have a question. I, this is a kudu horn, and uh, yeah. I found that it's a lot easier to just keep it in a low register. Yes. Uh, and it makes uh, it makes it much uh, much easier to hold the breath. So. Yes, that's a that's a so far blower secret that a lot of people don't understand. That when I blow the kudu horn, people say, that must be so hard to blow. And I say, yeah, I guess it must be. <laughs> but yes, if you blow it in the lower register, particularly because it's the shape of the horn enables you to get a very even round mouthpiece, right? Right. Which is easier on the lips. So yeah, you've, you've made a key discovery. Okay. But so that, that low tone is acceptable, in other words. Every, every sound is kosher. First of all, every sound is kosher. Secondly... There is a there is a very strong shita, a very strong uh, tradition among baletokea in particular, among shofar blowers, that the lower sound is the quote unquote authentic. Right, rather than than trying to squeeze out the higher sound. So, um, so yeah, let's hear it. May take me a couple of seconds here to get it in the right. Quite place. all right. 
It's not working. Well, I find that once I get it in the right position, it, it stays for a long time, but I'm not, I'm not getting it there today. No, no, it's okay. Good for you. Great. But you know what? If you, if you practice today, tomorrow, practice from now until Rosh Hashanah, you will sound much better, much more consistently. You'll be surprised. Now, I would also say, for those of you who are blowing with a, with a makri, with somebody who's calling out the, the, sounds for you, particularly if you're blowing in a minyan and you're blowing in a minyan where you have not been, you know, if you've not been a regular baltokeh, if you've not, you know, this is like your first, this is your first time out blowing a hundred kolot in a minyan. I would have a very serious, very, very explicit conversation in advance of when they're going to require you to repeat. Right, because the again the you know you can when when for the years that I blew shofar at at Risha, for example, there would be times when you know so Rav David was the makri he would call the kolod for me, and there would be times when I would finish, and he would look at me and he would go, which meant repeat that one, and then there were times when he would go which meant go back to the beginning of that whole line, right? So sometimes it's I would blow Tashrat and then he would make me blow that last Tekiah again. Sometimes I'd blow Tashrat and he would make me go back and blow the whole Tashrat again. Baruch Hashem, it didn't happen very often. But, you know, for those of us who are like out there, especially if this is our first time, like that's all you need, right? You, you don't want to get in a position. So really make sure that there are no surprises. You should really sit down with both the person who's going to be calling for you and with the rabbi and you know and make sure that you walk through exactly what's expected of you um and again i think the most like sheldon you're going to be blowing bazar hashem 100 kolot for a minyan i think the thing you need to focus on is making sure that you sustain your tikiot to keep them at the, the you know long enough right it doesn't you don't have to hold your note for a minute right again because the faster you can do the shram true in between the shorter the tequilas have to be. However, if we try to do the, the shvarim shura too fast, then we might end up just going, <laughs> right? Or they become, indis they slur and they become indistinguishable. So we have to find the right balance between getting through it quickly and getting through it clear and getting through it where we are in control. So who's next? So we have a few women on, uh, on the screen here. Um, can we get some, can we get, um, any women want to either blow the shofar or talk about your relationship, about your feelings about it and, and you know, how you feel about the experience of hearing shofar at all and your relationship to blowing or trying to blow the shofar? Yes, in it. I'll try and blow it, okay? Thank you. <laughs> I think I have to stand up though, just to be sure. All right, let's see. Killed on the last one. Beautiful. 
I didn't work properly between them, though. Oh. No, I think that's why you I do it again. One, but <laughs> that's great. Been... Years ago, decades ago, I yeah. was really dragooned into blowing shofar for a minion I was a member of. And what you just said about talking ahead of time, getting it straight, mm -hmm. that didn't happen. And I just practiced and practiced and learned what they meant. And then I just blew as they as the rabbi called. I didn't know what was coming or how many there would be so much <laughs> because I didn't study it. And Baruch Hashem, it worked out. Um, and I had the same shofar, but um, it was very scary. It was the most terrifying thing I ever did, really. <laughs> well, so first of all, you got a great sound out of it. Thank you. Um, I encourage you to practice and to go out and blow the shofar on, on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, I've just blown them myself, really. I think, uh, I think our synagogue will send people to blow in the neighborhood, but I'll just blow for myself, I think, because I'm isolating. Uh, where do you live? In Boca Raton. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, all right. You know, um, well, blowing the shofar is a very scary thing. Mm -hmm. and, um, and and it should be. So you, you got that part right. <laughs> um, it's a, so I want to give over a little bit of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, yes, I'm sorry, Barry, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm unable to blow. I'm in a, an office right now. I don't want to scare my uh, other lawyers in the suite, but one quick, your quick. socks in it. The socks, that's, <laughs> that's one idea. Do you have a suggestion as to blowing from the center of the mouth or the side of the mouth? I okay. personally seem to find the side to be more efficacious. Is that a matter of just preference of the chauffeur or is there some place I should really try to get a clearer, more consistent sound? So I will tell you from my perspective, you need to blow the shofar from the part of your mouth from which you get the best sound most consistently and is most comfortable for you. And there are, I mean, it's a, that's a very important question though, because there are a lot of people who will tell you, well, it has to be on this, the right side, it has to be in the corner, it has to be over your shoulder, it has to be, you know. The, so yeah, so there's a, you know, so, we blow the shofar every day during Chodesh Elul, but we don't blow it on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Why? Anybody? It's Friday night. <laughs> this year, no, but we don't blow it Erev Rosh Hashanah to, to because... Satan. Thank you, Justin, to confuse the Satan. So, um... There was a great uh, and an amazing chap from, I think his name was Rav Avraham, the son of the Ben Ishchai, was talking about, you know, there's this thing about that Aaron was, you know, the great peacemaker. And so they, so they say that when, how did Aaron make peace? Whenever two people were like, you know, in a fight with each other, an argument with each other, he would go to one of them and he would say, you know, Ruvain, Shimon feels so bad that you guys are baroigas with each other and he really wants to make up. And then he would go to the other guy and he would say, you know, Shimon, Ruvain feels so bad that you guys are broigas, are you angry with each other? And he really wants to make up. And so he would have the two of them believing it and they would make up, right? And the uh, son of Ben Ishchai says, you know, and people didn't catch on. They weren't onto him. 
what really you think like everybody was so stupid that Aaron th oh here goes Aaron again oh wow I never realized that he really does he's really not angry at me okay so we're going to confuse the satan uh, I like to think that my I like to think that I have a much more worthy opponent than that than somebody who's going to fall for it um, so there's a there is a an inyan there's a thing about blowing out of the right side of the mouth because the right side, Kabbalistically, is the side of judgment. The left side is the side of mercy. And so, and the Satan stands at your right side. And so you want to you wanna blow towards the Satan, and that'll kind of blow him away. I don't know. Um, the Mi'ikar Adin, the real, the real what, you're, what, you're, what we are required to do is to blow in the best way that we can, where we can get the best sound where we sustain the sound properly, where we have the best control. And also, by the way, where you're going to, you know, where you're going to suffer the least, because if you're going to, especially if you're going to be called on to blow for a minyan, a hundred kolod, and then you're going to have to go to somebody in the hospital and somebody in the home and somebody at their, you know, in their apartment or whatever, you know, next thing you know, you're going to be really, really, really tired out by the end of the day, but you're going to feel great about yourself. Um, yes, Ruth. So when I was growing up, uh, women were not allowed to blow shofar. Uh, Somebody who's going to bring that up. Go ahead. Well, it, Thank it you. bothered me because my sister, who uh, was a musician, could out, pardon the expression, outblow anybody else, sure. not just for duration, but tone and everything else was wonderful. And um, I told you my shofar is really from my daughter. And mm. she was blowing shofar when she was five because she just had a knack for it. Um, and she would blow for all the the grade schools, but no, they said you know it it you know it's like the voice of a woman. You're not supposed to hear it, which made no well, sense. First to of me. all, first of all, excuse me, I, I'm not asking for anybody, but it's got nothing to do with Kolisha. Okay, nothing to do with that. I, that's what made but no anyway. sense to me. Go ahead. Go ahead. But uh, why? If it is not my voice, it is really the voice of the shofar. Why not women? Are we that? So, you know, so let me let me try to do do this justice in a way that um, doesn't get us sidetracked into a whole long uh, discussion, which uh, this really deserves a whole long discussion. Um, the the Alter Rebbe, the Baal Hatanya, the um, uh, who, who wrote his own Shulchan Aruch. Are you all familiar with whom I'm talking about? The first the first uh, Rebbe of Chabad, who was the first of the lineage of the Chabad Lubavitch Rebbe's, right? And in his Shulchan Aruch, Shulchan Aruch Arav, oh, I just happen to have the volume right here, okay? He says that women, so first of all, there's any, if, if a woman wants to blow the shofar, I'm not, again, I'm not poskening for anybody, but if a woman wants to blow the shofar, as they say in the yeshiv, in good yeshivish, there's, she's got a lot to rely on halachically. She's got very broad shoulders to stand on, going all the way back to the Rishonim, in terms of women, at the very least, accepting upon themselves a mitzvah of this nature, right? So the argument why women shouldn't blow shofar, well, it's not that women should not blow shofar. The argument is that shofar is a mitzvah that is time-dependent. And as a mitzvah that is time-dependent, women are exempt from it. And if a woman is exempt from a mitzvah, she cannot perform that mitzvah on the part of somebody else. 
now you say, but wait a minute, there's no mitzvah to blow the shofar. Huh. You know, and you were, you were almost won on that one. However, no, there is no mitzvah to blow the shofar. The mitzvah is to hear the shofar. However, a person who enables other people to perform those type of mitzvot, like, must be somebody who is themselves obligated in that mitzvah. So the Shulchan Aruch HaRav, for example, you know, is one of the one post game that says, you know, women have accepted upon themselves certain mitzvot, sukkah, lulav, shofar. And he says, certainly a woman, a woman can certainly blow for other women. That's, he, in his mind, there's no question, okay? In my mind, it's, you know, the, when, when, I, when I put this out on Facebook, and I started trying to get people involved in this. So uh, a, a woman, a Haredi woman journalist who was delightful, we had a great conversation, contacted me and she wrote this article in the Jerusalem Post. And like the first question she asked me was, well, what about if women want to blow the shofar? So this was a, what, this was a little while back. And I said to her, well, you know what? This was yesterday in Shul, we just read the Parsha of B'not Chad the daughters of Tzlovchad who wanted to inherit from their father, wanted to inherit land from their father because they had no brothers. And, and it, was such a, it was such a shocking concept that Moshe actually had to go to God and God said, yeah, sure. Now, we're not going to go through, you know, what happened later on when the men came back and said, yeah, but then, you know, so, yeah. Um, you know, so God had an idea and then the men decided that they didn't like it after all. And so they got to get their own land, but then they had to give it back to the men. I am not making any apologetics about uh, Orthodox Jewish um, sexual politics, okay? Um, I'm trying to answer this question respectfully. So first of all, you know, halavai, a thousand women should be out on the streets of Jerusalem, out on the streets of New York City, out on the streets everywhere blowing the shofar. Halavai. And you know what, if a person, if that's the way that they're going to hear the shofar, I mean, kol akabod, right? They're, the inyan of kol isha, which I'm not going to paskin on, has to do with, with a man, specifically a man who is in, engaged in prayer or in a religious act, let's say, being seduced by hearing a woman singing, okay? So the sound of the shofar has nothing to do, it's no relation to the Indian of Kolisha. So the very worst case is you're going to say, you know what, I took this mitzvah on myself and I'm out there blowing the shofar. And you know what, this year, maybe that's the best you can do, Mr. Schwartz, Mr. Rabinowitz. Um, you know, I think, I think we'll be okay. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm delighted to see people, to see Jews out blowing the shofar. And uh, I hope that I hope that answers your question. I hope that addresses what you you know what you've asked about. I'm, again, it's you know I know a lot of women who are very good at doing things that quote unquote only men are supposed to do. You know, deal with it, get over it. It's like you know of all the things that we worry about, you know, that like this is what's going this is what's going to bring the Jewish people to its knees. That women are out in the streets of Jerusalem blowing the shofar. Gewalt. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we have uh, 10 minutes left. And I want to say over a little uh, little Shofar Torah, which to me is incredibly powerful. And I hope you will find it as meaningful as I do when I think about it every year. 
uh, and then we'll you know wrap it up with last questions, comments, and, and maybe a group shofar blowing. Um, the Baal HaTanya, whom we just quoted, the, the Alter Rebbe, in Tanya, uh, in his book Tanya, says that um, that there is a light that comes into the world every year. And the light of the year, you know, it's interesting if you look at the Amidah, the weekday prayer, that there's a, a blessing of Mivarech Hashanim, right? That God should bless this year for us, right? And it's a blessing where we ask for sustenance, we ask for health, we ask for good things for ourselves and for all, for everybody. And we, you know, we might want to ask ourselves, why are we only asking for good stuff for this year? Why don't we just ask for good stuff always, open-ended? And so the, the Alter Rebbe explains that, he, I mean, he doesn't explain it specifically in context with, with the Amidah, but it's very connected, that each year has a different light. And he says that the light is what sustains that year, and the light is what we draw on during the course of that year, and the light is what kind of dominates that year. And the light comes in at the beginning of the year and it goes out at the end of the year and that's it. So there's a light that comes into the universe, that comes into creation once and it stays with us throughout the year and then it's gone and that's it and it never returns. So the so that each year, which is a very, very deep concept that the Rebbe discusses in other contexts, each year is not a restart just like each time I put on my tefillin in the morning, I'm not doing the same mitzvah that I did yesterday. I'm doing a whole new mitzvah. Each time that we perform, even if it's, you know, objectively, you might say it's the same mitzvah, but no, because each performance of a mitzvah is a unique opportunity to connect to God. It's a unique opportunity for our soul to express itself. And so similarly, each year has its own unique light its own unique life force that sustains the year and sustains us within the year. And the Rebbe says that that light fades and goes out of the year when? On Erev Rosh Hashanah. When the Baltafila starts, and the light starts to withdraw. And by the time we finished praying the evening prayer on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, the light of the old year has left the world. And the light of the new year, we're, we're in, a, in a state of kind of suspended animation. The light of the new year comes into the world with the first tekiah of the shofar in the morning of Rosh Hashanah. So the amazing, I mean, we talked about, in it, you talked about being afraid. Be very afraid. Be in tremendous awe. Be in fear and trembling for the gift that you have to be the clee, to be the tool whereby the light comes into the world. And I will say that this year, in particular, it's not about being a world-class you know, symphony orchestra type of a musician. It's about what's going to come from each one of us from the soul, from the deepest part of our neshama. The word neshama, neshima, is breath, right? 
And so the word spirit in English comes from a root that means breath. Okay. When we put our soul, our breath, our neshama, our spirit out there into the universe, the universe responds by giving us the light for the year. So my bracha for us all this year is get out there and just, you know, blow your hearts out because what you're doing, no matter how competent you feel you are, what you are doing, first of all, remember, however however nervous you are about doing it, however you feel like you're not prepared to do it, you're doing it in a room with two or three or 30 other people who feel much more nervous than you and much less competent than you, and you're giving them a tremendous gift. And no matter what comes out, all sounds are kosher. When you blow the shofar, there will be two brachot that we make, lishmoa kol shofar, to hear the shofar, and shechianu. And I think every year when I say shechianu, it like, I get tremendously choked up and I, I'm getting choked up now just thinking about what it's going to be like, the experience of saying it this year, I can't, I can't imagine. Okay. But that God has sustained us, Davka, us, Davka at this time, Davka with what with the whole world is going through right now. May God continue to sustain us. And you, when you finish those, when you say those brachot and when you sound that first tekiah, the halachic requirement is we must have in mind that we are blowing the shofar to enable anybody, any Jew who hears it, to fulfill the mitzvah of shofar. And it's absolutely critical that we have that intention, we have that kavanah. It is absolutely critical that the people who hear have the same kavanah, that by hearing the shofar, they're fulfilling the mitzvah. And so what we're doing is by, by sharing our breath with the universe, we are bringing together the Jewish people. We're connecting the Jewish people to God. The, the most fundamental form of prayer is a prayer that has no words because language by definition is, is insufficient and incapable of truly communicating what's in the heart. Our blowing the shofar is the way that we offer ourselves to one another, that we offer ourselves individually and as a community and God willing as a whole people to God, and it's really, you know, it's, we say it's the birthday of the world, actually not the birthday of the world, right? It's the day that, it's the sixth day of creation. Roshana is the day the Gemara tells us the day on which Adam and Eve were created. Because if the world was created for us, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> you know, are we the crown of creation? Well, however, it is our need for meaning that puts meaning into the world. And our need for expression finds its lowest and its ultimate highest expression at the same time in the shofar. Because it's the moment when we say, I, I've run out of words, God. I have no way to communicate with you. I have no idea who you are, what you are. I have no idea what I'm doing here. But I need to reach out. And that's what we're going to do. God bless everybody. I wish you all a tremendous, successful shofar blowing. I want to hear from everybody how well it went. Really, I would encourage you all to like make a little journal entry after Rosh Hashanah, you know, exp ex express and explore the feelings that you have around blowing the shofar. <coughs> God bless. You know, next year, Bezrat Hashem in Jerusalem. Um, 
Maybe. And maybe all in maybe all in a building together, God willing. Amen. Amen. That would be lovely. Amen. We'll, we'll, how can we get in touch with you, uh, Moshe? What's the best uh, way to reach you? Um, my, I think, uh, does you have an email for me? You, you can email around. inquiry. We don't yet have, um, I, I don't have a specific email for you, but if you email inquiry at jerisha.org, I will make sure that uh, Rabbi Silver, Silver gets every one of your emails and he yep, can correspond will, with you directly. Okay. And I uh, actually, Yudas, I can also give you an email um, that you can Oh, read. sure. You can feel free to share it with people. Okay, happily. Um, I can send out an email to everyone who registered for the class can, with a follow-up. It it's, yeah. it's actually easy to remember. It's tikkun.olam. T-I-K-K-U-N dot O-L-A-M at hotmail.com. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much, Rabbi Silver. And thank you, everyone. Can yes. Can you send? You have a question. Can you send the email with the the kolot that you showed? I would appreciate sure. it. Sure, I will. I will put the attachment in from the previous class as well when I send an Thank email you. to those who registered. For those who are watching us on Facebook or Andresha Live, and if you would like the same information to be sent to you and you haven't yet registered, um, please just send an email to inquiry at jerisha.org and I will uh, be happy to make sure that you get the information that you're looking for. Um, so just a couple housekeeping things before we end, if that's all right. Uh, we're gonna... Excuse oh. me, I just, yes. I'm sorry. Just it may be no, simpler please. for some people, you can always message me on Facebook, Moshe Silver. There you go, even better. So we're gonna be continuing our L programs tomorrow with part three of Rabbi Dr. Ariel Evan Mazes Chassidut and the Spiritual Journey class. Uh, and part three of, and then in the evening, Thursday evening, uh, Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Zukier is his class is on the Kapara of Yom Kippur. And save the day one week from today, Wednesday, September 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern or 8 p.m. Israel, Dr. Yael Ziegler is going to be presenting at our annual Stanley Rudolph Memorial High Holidays Lecture. Her, her uh, class is titled, Does the Book of the Hillen Tell a Story? So I mentioned this before, but I'll, it's, it's worth re-mentioning again. Uh, if you haven't yet registered for these classes and others, there's still time. And for more information, go to our website, www.drisha.org, and then forward slash classes, the Zoom, the Facebook Live, and the Drisha Live links are all posted in each class. And in case you missed it and you want to catch up on, on some of the previous recorded classes, this one included, it will be there. Um, we do post the recordings of, on our website in our online library. So if you go to our website, drisha.org, uh, in the main toolbar, it says online library. Click on recorded classes and you'll be good to go. Um, thank you again, Rabbi Silver. I'm really happy that I personally had this opportunity to, to learn with everybody here tonight and get the experience of the show for blowing. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing you along with everyone else uh, today in, same, you know, in our upcoming classes and hopefully, you know, next year, and we'll be in a building together, blowing shofar and lots of good things coming our way. Thank you, Rabbi Silver. Thank you very much. Take care, Thank everyone. You Thank you, Rabbi.